Welcome to Talk Purpose and Truth with Eden and Kim, shifting you into higher consciousness. The show that elevates, uplifts, and encourages listeners to grow, heal, awaken, and evolve. Eden and Kim include bold topics, special interviews with inspiring guests, intuitive readings, channeled messages from beyond, including celebrities, hot topics to expand your awareness, and time for questions from the audience. Tune in for unprecedented truth, authenticity, on-purpose discussions, and magical moments. Hello, everybody. This is Eden and Kim. We're here together for our, another episode of Talk, Purpose, and Truth. Thanks, everybody, for being here. We have a really great, fun guest today. We're excited to introduce him. So I'm going to get right into the intro. Um, so his name is Neil Carlin. And he was the only journalist that Prince granted in-depth press interviews to for over a dozen years from before Purple Rain to when the artist changed his name to an unpronounceable glyph. Um, Carlin interviewed Prince for three Rolling Stone cover stories, wrote Three Chains of Gold, Prince's rock video opera, as well as The Star's Last Testament, which may be buried with Prince's will underneath Prince's vast and private compound, Paisley Park. Is that what you think? You think his will is buried? That's this was 1993. And um, I wrote this sort of it's when he changed his name. Um, and he said he was burying this album and his sort of reason for changing his name and declaring the old prince dead. And he said there was a will there and it was going to be buried underneath Paisley Park, which is hundreds oh of acres. Gosh. And Whoa. the reason Breaking I really news. <laughs> Sorry. The reason I believe it, I know this sounds weird and crass, is that he paid me right away. And he didn't, it's the only time I got paid. I, I, I mean, I always was working for magazines, but if he used something, he tended to pay it. And I really think this was his last joke. And it was just mm -hmm. like, it's, it is buried there. People have seen this mm -hmm. time capsule that traveled to London and stuff. And I think, you know, they're selling off pieces of Paisley Park, the acreage. And I think in X years, ah. doing Paisley Park condominiums are going to turn this up. So I know it sounds wacky, but <laughs> he really cared about his legacy and he cared about charity. His state lost so much money because he didn't leave a will. So he just cared too much about it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to just let him fight about. It. So I think it might have been he was a jokester and a practical. Yeah, so I may be wrong. And I know it sounds like I'm from outer space or what he would call. Don't go Trekkie on me. He said that in some interviews to different <laughs> people. Uh, but I personally believe that, you know, oh and God. it's not because wow. I think I'm in it, you know. Um, right. Okay. Well, I have a little bit more to say about you to make sure the audience knows exactly who you are and what you do. So you're also a former contributing editor for Rolling Stone, Newsweek, right. staff writer, and regular contributor to the New York Times. And you're the author of Babes in Toyland, The Making and Selling of a Rock and Roll Band, and other books ranging in content from minor league babies baseball to fundamentalist religion to linguistics a graduate of brown university and you live in minneapolis 
Gosh, I sound yes. almost legitimate there. You yeah. Know? But you, too, I, in your bio, in your bio on Amazon, I saw that you were friends with him for what? Like, yeah, most of his life. 31 years. Yeah. Yeah. But it's strange because not once during that time did I ever say, oh, yeah, I'm friends with Prince. Because it seemed so pompous, like you, mm -hmm. I think I before like saying oh yes the queen of england and i are like that and <laughs> it was never like that and it took writing this book really like three other three more years before i realized gosh i i think i was um yeah. you know i only knew i mean i'd say 20 percent of him i he he was the most compartmentalized person i ever met i mean we all are compartmentalized you know yeah i mean we all have different you know, our not all our friends know all our friends, or yeah. you know, we things that. But no one ever knew who he was going out with. No one, none of his friends knew who each other were. So when I came out after he died, I hadn't written about him in twenty six years, and I wrote about him. And I, I thought like twenty people would come out, and and they didn't. But a lot of people have come out and sort of said, "Oh yeah, I." I knew Prince, just we were like that. And a lot of people, there's a line in The Big Chill. I, I don't know if you're old enough to remember. You're, you're not. <laughs> but no. where um, it was from the 80s and a bunch of college, uh, it, there's like a college reunion. And one of the guys says to William Hurt, um, they have an argument. We've known each other too long to get into an argument. He said, no, we knew each other um, a long time ago. We knew each other for very, we knew each other very well a long time ago. And there are a lot of people who knew Prince very well a long time ago. And I mean like 40 years. And I always tried to just keep my distance. It helped that I wasn't on his payroll. Um, yeah. He said in his Rock and Roll Hall of Fame speech, his advice to musicians is to have a mentor and someone not on their payroll as a friend. Yeah. So, mm. and so and there were many parts of him. You stayed What's in touch that? with him though, right? You stayed in touch with him. Yes. And um, I think he respected that. I decided I didn't want to write about him anymore because that's all I was sort of was, oh, he's the Prince writer. He's the Prince writer. And I wanted to run away and join other circuses mm -hmm. sort of and write about other things. And I think he kind of respected that, that I wasn't trying to live off of him. He said once, I can make people famous for 15 minutes, but I can't make them famous for their whole lives and they never forgive me, which oh. was an interesting ah, A lot of pressure. Thing because, yeah. you know, a lot of people who were quite angry. He wasn't an easy guy, I don't think. I mean, I yeah. was lucky. I was, I'm glad I was never a musician working <laughs> at him. Um, right. But, now that he's gone and he can't say, I haven't, I didn't talk to that guy for 40 years. Um, um, people are just coming out of the woodwork, writing books like me. And I'm no one to talk, but I'm glad it took, it just took so long just because it, it was hard. I just wanted to do right by him as a friend. And even that feels funny saying that because mm. I, I, for so long, it was like, no, no, no. And I hate reporters who conflate the importance of who they're interviewing with their own importance, you know? Yeah. You, you can just tell they think like, oh, 
we really hit it off. We're buddies. And it's, it's just the celebrity game. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to be one of those guys, especially with someone as difficult to know as Prince was. Mm-hmm. Um, trusted you though because you knew him from the time you guys were boys is that how, well it was is that just, how you got to be his journalist no it was a coincidence um oh. he's he had he hadn't talked for three is this boring by the way um <laughs> no it's fascinating I, we have a lot of prince loving listeners so oh, okay <laughs> well um he hadn't spoken for three years and he said, I'm not talking anymore. This was, he said that before Purple Rain, Purple Rain comes out. And then he agreed to appear on the cover of Rolling Stone with Lisa and Wendy. Um, I remember that. And, and they would speak on behalf of him. And so I interviewed them and it went great, but I didn't say, hey, could you talk to Prince and ask him? Blah, 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 blah. But um Susanna Melvoin talked to Lisa and Wendy and she convinced Prince that he should check me out. So I was living in New York then. And so I flew to Minneapolis and for two days, he didn't speak to me. He just kind of like was rehearsing bands. We played ping pong. And it wasn't until we started driving around Minneapolis that he even realized I was, we were driving in North Minneapolis in his old neighborhood. And he said, now, there's a difference between North and South Minneapolis, yeah. North Minneapolis. And I in- interrupted, I said, oh, I know my grandparents lived right over there. And I mm-hmm. pointed, because I used to spend every weekend two blocks away from where he grew up, right uh-huh. next to the Dairy Queen. And, and, I go, and I used to go sledding right at that hill, and so did he. And uh-huh. so it helped, but it wasn't the reason I don't think but it's it it, I have it on tape and you can kind of hear the moment where he suddenly realizes oh this isn't just some New York smart aleck or whatever you know so well we have we have um we have two clips that you allowed us um that one's huh yeah I'm I'm excited that (laughs) I I I think everyone's going to be shocked because there never before heard clips that are not on the audiobook or anywhere and only can be heard here of Neil with Prince, actual conversations. And so we're going to play two of them for our audience. So we're very, very humbled and grateful for this. It, I, I got really choked up listening. So, um, and there'll be like uh, 20 other ones on the audiobook. Yeah, can the audiobook, a- you can buy the audiobook and you'll get at least 20 called- more. Yeah. Yeah. And what On is Amazon, it called? It's called this thing called life. Um, 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 and I'm Neil Carlin. So anyway, that's my plug. And yes, uh, <laughs> we'll plug it. We'll plug it again at the end. But uh, Scott, What's take it away. Name? I hate. I'm. Ugh, I, I'm ashamed of myself. You know. <laughs> You're so You're funny. You're supposed to keep like getting you know, every five seconds, and like I, I'm just not good. <laughs> I better promote. Um, can I promote you guys? This is the best show I've ever. <laughs> Thank you. So, you know how it's much easier to promote someone else. Yeah, oh, it is. It is. I know. Although All right, we're gonna, we're ready to hear the clip. Oh, sorry. Let me shut up and let him talk. Just be, <laughs> shut up, Neil. Come on. I know. Okay. <laughs> Wendy, once during the tour, we had to fly somewhere, and I didn't know it, but she was definitely afraid of flying. You know, and she. Uh, got on the plane and got really like free 
everybody else because she was just like sweating it. I was scared for her. Right. So I tried to calm her down with jokes and stuff like that, but not too much work. And I thought about it. I used to look at it, and sometimes, you know, it's funny because you can look through a person sometimes and they wonder, now what is stupid? Yeah, I know now. I would look at her, and then finally I'd say, come here. And then we went to a room, and I saw her, and I said, um, Do you believe in God? And she said, Trust him. She said, Yes. And said, No, I'm like, Fine. Mm-hmm. She was just, yeah, okay. But when she thought about it, the next day she came back and said, I'm cool, I understand. And that was it. That mm-hmm. was all it said. And she still, it bothers her, but it isn't a whole bunch of things. We're going to die. Right? Yeah, right. That's what it was, you know. And it's like, it's so nice to know that there is something else, you know. And if and if we're wrong, and if I'm wrong, and there is nothing, big deal. But the whole life that I just spent, I at least had some reason to spend it. The pity is that, see, I want to live in a place that's big enough so that when people come by, I can be with them. And I can't now because I've done it a few times, and a whole bunch of people came, then the guard couldn't handle them. Then it's just like people out there. People yeah. aren't talking. You know, and it's just making all kinds. It's just like a freeway, you know. It was before. And it's just like people right. going back and forth. I mean, we could go up there and sit. And you'll see, just there's a dead end up there. Yeah. There's no houses. So cars just go there True. and come back yeah. around, which is cool, you know. The only problem is the neighbors don't dig it. And I, I have to respect them because I moved in their neighborhood. And then you look at it television they say would you let prince live in your neighborhood yeah, right. you know here's a neighbor that did yeah, yeah. Right. Cool. yeah it doesn't feel like a prison at all though i mean it's just it's, has there been any afternoon where you felt like a prisoner any the only time i do feel like a prisoner sometimes but if i could be in my car when that happens and that is when i think too much and i can't sleep from just having so many things like that in your head, and it's just like, I could do this, I could do that, I have all these bands, these, right. they, they do this, and then like, what am I going to do with their show, what am I going to do with right. this show, and is that person going to be cool with it, and, um, I think so. there's so many things, and yeah. there's women, and there's, do I have to eat, I wish I didn't have to eat, you right. know, things like that, because eating is just a chore. Wow, those were just profound and amazing and you're it's just a blessing that you were able to to keep those neil and um i feel like it it's a lot like you're hearing vulnerabilities from prince that he would normally never talk about when he was you know in public so how what was that like well first of all it's sheer luck that i found all these tapes because they were i didn't write about them for so long and they were in a storage closet where i kept just tapes of, you know, they're Wayne Newton tapes and share tape, you know, just goofy tapes and that they still exist all these years later is, is astonishing. And um, I couldn't, the first year after I got this book assignment from um, St. Martin's Press, I couldn't stand to listen to the tapes. I spent the entire year reading everything that had ever been written about him, except what I wrote or listening to those tapes because I heard ghosts 
Um, and it wasn't just his ghost. He was 26 and I was 25. Yes, this was once 25. And <laughs> I hear my own ghosts and I could remember what I was thinking in at 25 and what I thought life would be like. And, you oh, know, when you wow. go back in your head and finally, um, I, I, I had to start listening to them. Actually, my, my apartment burned down and I lost everything I had mm -hmm. except my Prince materials. Oh it was my God. Like, oh, it was no. almost like I, That's... and the only reason I didn't lose them was because they were on a back. I wasn't home. They were on wow. my computer that I was wearing. And it was, oh. you know, some friends were saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty down to earth, but I, I, be I believe in don't, I mean, I'm open to anything. And it's, it was almost like he was going, pay attention, get to me, you know? Yeah. Oh, You're supposed God. to be writing a book. Oh, and we, he definitely orchestrated that. <laughs> yeah. He was at my apartment once and he said, Maybe not the you fire, got so much yeah. stuff, I collect stuff, you know? And he said, you, you, you got to get some order here. You need to focus. And so it's sort of like him saying focus. And it was really great because the community really rose up. And I, of course, had spent my entire advance without writing a word as writers tend to do. So people raise money so I could get the book done. And then, because mm -hmm. this is- Because you had lost everything with fire. Living, you know, and uh, well, it was kind of a miracle. It really was a miracle. That and, is. And did, I remember you saying something about um, offline when we talked to you a couple of days ago that that writing this book is what got you through that fire and some other dark times in your life that you had. You had some yeah, tragic there losses. Were, yeah, there were um, people in my life who took who took their lives. And mm. for those who haven't been through that experience, it's something I would I, I never. I truly understand the meaning of the phrase, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it that happened about a year, the last time uh, before I was done. And it was a way for me to sort of channel my angst or whatever. And uh, it, it just, it, it allowed me to go on. It was like, a, being able to write about him was like his last gift to me. and. It's terrible mm. that it meant him passing on to another plane or whatever, but I had been sort of, I had writer's block for the years before then because of another person in my family, extended family, who had um, who'd taken their lives. I had to, and after that happened, I, I just couldn't write. And the first okay. thing I could write was an essay about Prince, a short thing, and it was just hard to do. But suddenly he gave me, not like he gave me, I don't mean to like mean, ah, he, he's the divine spirit, you know, but. Well, he is. He is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was trying, in four years, I was trying to write about this loss I'd gone through and gotten four pages out, you know. Um, and suddenly I had something else to write about. And it was such a relief to put my 60 books about suicide into boxes and put them away mm. for I knew a few years not forever maybe not I don't know but to just realize no I'm going to be focusing on someone else and yeah. uh, and uh it was like a gift it was it was his greatest gift to me was he he got me I felt like a phony when I'd say I was a writer because I wasn't writing you know it was mm -hmm. um, you know I had all that fancy sounding stuff that you read on that piece of paper. Un unfortunately, we don't live life on paper. It would be, you know, yeah, so you'll, 
you know, and and so it was it was a gift. I look at it as I mean, it sounds weird. His his it's not like his death was a gift, but his yeah. going where he was. It, it, it just inspired me and kept me going through really the hardest times of my life was to be able to get it down right. And there have been so many books about him, you mm -hmm. know, and it's sort of like, why do we need another one? And indeed, there have been great books written about him. I mean, about there have been biographies and discographies and every kind of book. But what was missing, I felt, was the guy. And I think it's important for people to remember, people make him into an icon and a god and all that, was that he was a guy. He went mm -hmm. to elementary he went to elementary school. He mm -hmm. had a mom and dad. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, he's a person. Yeah. And that's how I related to him. And that's how, you know, I get intimidated very easily, but I was never intimidated by him weirdly. And he could, I mean, mm -hmm. he had a stare that couldn't just stop a watch. Could stop a sundial, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was like, um, but we just related to each other as guys and sort of—I mean, as people. But I mean, when I say guys, I in Minnesota they say gals, which always sounds weird. <laughs> All gals there. Um, yeah. But uh, um, and I think he liked that because he worked so much that he was surrounded by musicians, usually musicians he was bossing around, um, mm -hmm. trying to get the sounds in his head to come out of other people's instruments or his own. And that's when he turned into, you know, the, the, the taskmaster you hear about, but he was very good. I mean, I have letters and stuff where he's asking my opinion. He's saying, thank you. I mean, he was a guy who could say, thank you. He was a guy who valued friendship mm -hmm. and it's just, it's tragic. I mean, it's heartbreaking and I hate saying this, um, but he was the loneliest guy I ever met. And, mm -hmm. um, and I don't say that like, oh, and I have a PhD in psychology. It's just, right. he would That's often right. call late at night. And mm -hmm. I always thought it was just because I stay up really late. And I, I said one thing that I think he called because he knew I was the only person up that late in Minneapolis who was willing to talk about depression and sadness and stuff like that. So you got to talk to him about you. Sorry, you got to talk to him about that kind of thing, like something that was much deeper. So he got to be himself with you. Yeah, like when I I didn't like being around him or being around when he was being Prince Superstar with his yeah. bodyguards mm -hmm. and um, and but he just seemed like a person just like a person and I'm not being disingenuous here. I'm truly incompetent at everything in life, be it zoom or, you know, <laughs> sharpening pencils. But the one thing I'm okay at is getting heavy at four 30 in the morning. You know, um, I don't mean I'm some deep character, but I'm able to listen and, and relate to that. So it really was a guy. And, um, it wasn't like we only talked on the phone, but as time went on, especially the last 15 years of his life, it was more and more, um, he would call at 4.15 in the morning. And I actually rubbed it in in my third Rolling Stone story, because um, it started right away. I started the story with the phone rings at 4.48 a.m. Mm. Um, quote, hi, it's Prince, did I wake you up? And it's like, that's how he'd always begin. and. Uh, uh, he just, he never, it seemed like he never slept. I always wanted to catch him in the act of sleeping. 
mm-hmm. and uh, um, and and I didn't. I know. I now know when the hours he, he was just he was blessed, but he was. It was also sort of a torment to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so glad I'm not a genius. But he would talk about how he couldn't turn his brain off. It yeah, was just yeah. no matter what he was doing, just it was just ping, 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 ping. You know, ideas mm-hmm. bouncing off, and it and that's why he left so many songs but it's also it would wouldn't it drive you crazy if just i mean i know what that feels like to me and i just shut down but he couldn't yes and so in a way it's like so sad that he left you know he, he he passed away so young but it's a blessing that he lasted so long in a way yeah Yeah. having that tortured mind yeah he didn't you know kurt Cobain. Anyway, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um, well, you guys had, um, you told us a story before about a pact, a dying wish pact that you guys yeah. had together. Can you explain that? Yes. And it's even been fact-checked. I like to add that by okay. GQ Magazine, which ran it in this oral history. Um, but we, we, he, about three years before he died, we made we made an agreement about what the other person would do if the other person died first. And I was sure I was gonna lose, the, I mean, not I don't know if you, what you call losing or winning that bad. I was sure he was gonna be playing on stage at 93, like mm-hmm. an old blues guy, you know, mm-hmm. Muddy Waters or B.B. King, and I'd get hit by a bus tomorrow or something. You know, I'm just such a dude. And if I went first, he agreed, he'd play an hour after lunch at my high school here in Minneapolis. And I knew he'd play for three hours and the kids wouldn't have to go back to <laughs> go back to class. To class. <laughs> and if he went first, which I sure would never happen, I'd just write one article again and I hadn't written about him for the hometown paper, mm. which is what I did. And those 1200 words, you know, it's like, oh, you've written all these cover stories for Rolling Stone and Newsweek. This little article for the Minneapolis Star Tribune was the hardest thing I ever wrote. I didn't sleep for three days because mm. it just was, well, first of all, I hadn't written anything in years. And, um, but it got done and people related to it. And I realized, oh, I could write. And I did want, you know, uh, people said, oh, are you trying to cash in? And it's like, no, first of all, if I'd wanted to cash in, I would have written this. It would have come out long before these 20 other books came out. But um, I just wanted to get it right and get it different. I mean, I felt like I had something. I didn't want to just like write, oh, another Prince book. Here's another right. Prince book. And um, so what makes your book really, besides um, things that you went through with him, how does it, what about him stands out in your book that's different? I hope, and I like to think, but I don't know, you know, that you see the human being there. Um, So often, I mean, if you want to compare it to the Wizard of Oz, so many people see him as, you know, sort of the Oz figure you'd see up on the screen. And and I feel like, right. And I feel like I got to see the man behind the curtain. Remember the guy, you know, pay no attention to the, and usually he was paying no, but I got to pay attention to the man behind the curtain. And I really liked that guy behind the curtain. He wasn't mean, he wasn't, he was funny. He was gentlemanly, um, you know, he, he was a dog, but he was a gentleman. I mean, he, he liked (laughs) women, but if if that makes Mm -hmm. sense, you know, he wasn't 
he, he, he appreciated kindness. So what I hope it provides is him as a guy. And when I say that also, I get into his family mm-hmm. a lot and you really see what happens in a family. I mean, in the book, I really put a lot of blame, I'm just gonna say it, on his father, who was a frustrated musician. And it's a terrible thing to see a father jealous of his own child. Yes. And um, you really see how both, it sort of made Prince not being able to get his father's approval. His Mm. father wouldn't even let him play his piano, but it sort of broke Prince as a person, but it also gave him that drive to become Mm -hmm. a superstar. To prove himself. As you see, to be a super, you've got to want it. It doesn't happen by mistake, you know? Um, And to be as brave as he did, to do stuff where the world is going, you are crazy when he changed his name to that, you know, and still believe you were, you were right. It's um, um, so it's both the tragedy and the glory of him, but I wish he had had more happiness in his yeah. life. Do you know this? I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but do you know how much of the the movie Purple Rain was about his life? How closely associated was it to his life? It's interesting. It's very, very closely associated to his life. And he left parts out, especially about his father, that mm-hmm. I mean, or things that are in there about his father. He, he'd say, oh, the director put that in. I didn't put that in, like about his mm-hmm. father being violent or drinking or something like that. He'd say, he. it wasn't just he'd take credit, he'd give credit to other people for stuff he did. He really wrote the script to Purple Rain. I mean, mm-hmm. it was written, he, he rewrote it every day every day. If you read Alan Light's book, um, uh, Let's Go Crazy, which is about the making of the film, he was really yeah. into that film. So, you know, people always say, oh, he took credit for this and I did that. But he was very good at giving credit to other people for stuff he did. Mm. You know, I mean, we, we, we um, you know, uh, we got to go, we got invited by the revolution um, and Vicky, um, Bobby's wife to see the revolution at the Ace Hotel this last December, luckily before the shutdown. And uh, we sat next to um, Robert Magnoli or Albert, Albert? Magnoli. Albert, okay. Albert Magnoli. And, yeah. um, and we met him and he was great, but it was really wonderful to watch his expressions as different Purple Rain songs came on and like the yeah. memories and everything. What's he like? Tell the audience who the he is first. Oh, he's the one. I'm sorry. He directed (laughs) Full Rain. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And got the screenwriter closely on it. Yes. Yeah. He wrote it, right? With Prince. Yeah, he wrote it, but Prince actually rewrote it. And Lisa Coleman talks about it. And is he a nice guy? I mean, he had, you don't see him. Yeah. He was a nice guy. We took a picture. He was so nice. Yeah. Yeah. And Luckily, it's funny. He was a very nice guy. Yeah. Um, we have a picture yeah, with him. Special. Yeah. It was just a special yeah. experience. You mentioned Bobby Rivkin, Bobby Z. Yeah. Prince would have played at his high school, too. That We went to the same high school. Oh, Bobby oh Z, you know? yeah. So that, but um, it uh, it's, it's very autobiographical. Um, there's some scenes I, that I still sort of cringe at that are a little misogynistic, like when Morris Day. Does he put Apollonia in the garbage? Can- you know, I don't know oh, if you could get girl, away with girl, that obviously. today. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's old. It's and, old school, you know. They, it's not okay yeah, now. But, but it was interesting it. because he invented more the character of Morris Day. He invented using the actor Morris Day. You know, I mean, wow. uh, mm. which is sort of weird. He create because he always said the only band he was ever afraid of was the time. And he created the time. I mean, he and he didn't give himself credit. You know, I mean, he would note for note have Morris do what he did. And Morris started off as a gopher for the revolution, you know. Wow. And, and so he learned the Morris Day, what we all think of as the Morris Day swagger, as as that's just Morris Day, when in fact it's a character named Morris Day played by a man named Morris Day. Wow, and he stepped into it. That's And he plays it to this day. Did. That's what he did for Carmen Electra, too. Yeah, yeah. In the book, there's a great picture that Andre Simone, who I just think is great, provided of their first band when they're 15. It's Prince lived with Andre and his family for yeah. the last four years of high school. And it's, um, you see Andre, you see Prince with an Afro, as big as Prince, basically. And um, <laughs> you see Morris at 15, and it's just, it's oh, my favorite picture. You mean, and you Andre, know, yeah. And you know how, like, do you ever just see pictures of you when you're 15? And if you <laughs> squint a little, you can see both yourself at age four and at age 45, you know? And, <laughs> That's interesting. And you could see it. And, uh, and he was just, I, I miss him. And, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's painful to sometimes hear his music almost because I just remembered the guy and he he was in such pain. I mean, you know, people say, "Oh, he's a drug addict." He just he wasn't parting. He wasn't you know he was in pain. A hundred thousand right. people are gonna die this year of um, opioid thing. It's a work-related. Right injuries you jump off speakers for 40 years wearing high heels you're gonna need double hip replacement surgery and yeah. to think he did those incredible he was in pain since after purple rain um oh. so when you think about how long his career every step hurt and mm. i you know Agony. I couldn't do it. I and, just got uh, the word agony. That's what yeah. I feel like he was in agony. And I think it was also emotional agony as well. Emotionally. Yeah. Yes. And, I think that's people, why he I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. Just people, people, when you say that about um, people dying of opioid and even anything related to mental health and needing something, it's because there's not enough solutions out there. And we have to be more understanding and empathetic with people going through that because it's a result of being in pain or anxiety or depression or whatever. So they're not trying to just go, yeah, you know what, let me just take all this stuff and, and you know, have all this stuff happen. It's not that it's there's mental health. There's stuff, such pain. I mean, people, right. it was just um, National Suicide Awareness Day yes. last, last week. And um it's, I mean, people are getting better about talking about it, but there is still a stigma about yeah. it. And, um, you know, what do they say? You know, people who will experience a depressed, you know, mental health issues in their life, it's like four out of 10. Or people who experience mental health issues, ooh, you disappeared. Can you see me? Am I? Oh, she's she here. She's there. Keep oh, okay. going. Keep going. I just think it's important for people to talk about it and make yeah. it 
So it's not, you know, if you have a broken leg, you're not a, if you have the flu, you're not ashamed to say that, but yeah. people will say, oh, I'm, bi I'm bipolar, don't, but don't tell anybody, or, oh, yeah. I'm really depressed, don't tell anybody, or um, I have ADD, but, you know, and if it comes out of, what's that, that cliche, you're only as sick as your secrets, you know? Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And um, I've, you know, I've been in therapy, I've gone to groups, you know, I, I, I believe in it, you know, yeah. and I've gotten strength from other people um not necessarily trained professionals you know just we've all gone through stuff and it it helps to to talk it out i think and yeah, uh, talk, talk it just knows you're not alone and yeah. i think yeah. he felt alone and i think the reason he didn't seek help was he was ashamed because he yeah. made such a big deal and he meant it about living the clean life living the vegan life no drugs when i was on gosh way back when i was on tour like with him i was in my 20s and i still smoked cigarettes and i had to take a shower before interviewing him because i smelled like cigarettes and he couldn't stand <laughs> it so i think it was shame of um um letting his fans down or letting yeah. people down. it wasn't like kurt cobain who was or kurt cobain as mm -hmm. I, I learned i recorded the audiobook last week in the british engineer said no it's cobain and ah. everyone i've been saying kurt cobain wrong i interviewed him all these times so i just realized ah. that um, he was trying to like blot out his depression and his mm -hmm. bipolar you know if, yeah. if there were other if he could have talked it wasn't like a a rock star thing either and we only yeah. had 27 years of him we had 57 years of prince and yeah. you know what's funny is bruce springsteen who Prince really respected. And the reason he said, he said, I'm not that into his music, but his is the only audience I couldn't steal. And oh. they, they were friends. And um, Bruce Springsteen in his, in his book that came out admitted that he's a depressive. And the reason he put on four hour shows was that was the only time he wasn't depressed. You oh know? my gosh. And so oh. I think Prince and he, Alex Hahn and Laura Tebert in their book, put out about Prince um, said that he probably played the guitar and piano more than anybody in the history of popular music just because he practiced so much. And I think that's where he could escape. He could escape into his music. And um, right. so just as Bruce Springsteen, people say, how does Bruce Springsteen do it? How does Prince do it? They do it because it's better than the alternative, which oh is my gosh. being stuck. It's their, it's their medicine, right? Yeah. Um, so Neil, we want to ask, um, before we ask all about how to get the book and the audio, um, your friend is there, Michelle Casimore Streitz, and she works. She's in she the shadows. In, we're excited because she was in wardrobe design department with Prince during some really special times. So real quickly, Michelle, we would, we're just happy you're here also. And we wanted Thank to you. know um, what your experience was with that. Well, um, I worked on Sign of the Times and Love Sexy. Nice. And yeah, it was really great. And I worked, um, I didn't work at Paisley Park. I worked as an independent artist um, out of a, friend's studio who was friends with Helen Hyatt. Mm -hmm. So um, Helen came and she to was, She was yes. Prince's um, clothing wardrobe designer, right? That's right, yeah. So um, so we had an in because um, 
the, the guy that I worked with, Russ Belk, knew her. And so she would come to us and have us make um, things for prints. Um, we made the mirror hearts, um, earrings uh, that were sold as merchandise at the the concerts ah. and um we also uh my friend tom and i who i had gone to college with were given the the job of designing the um the glitter cane that that prince used in the love sexy tour oh my gosh and it wow. was so much fun doing that it was just it was really great did you have to make several of them many we had yeah. to make Ah. Yeah. 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 He um he threw canes out to the audience. Um oh my gosh. Yeah. Especially in Japan. He, wow. he threw many of them. There must be a lot of canes out there in Japan now. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's an exciting part of your life, I'm sure. <laughs> it is, yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So well, now, thanks for sharing that. Yes, thank you. We have a lot of people that love Prince that watch, including us, that will listen to our show. So that will be a little surprise. Yeah. All right. Thank you. And Thank here's you. <laughs> Where's Neil? There you are. Oh, is, she's much more interesting than me. <laughs> oh, okay. you, know, you want to cut the show and start over with Michelle? You know? <laughs> Seriously, I think you might do better. Oh, well, Neil, we have to close out this amazing episode can you just tell us where people can find you and how to buy the book yes well it should be at better and worser bookstores everywhere amazon <laughs> is the easiest yeah um if you just type in because who's gonna it's called um this thing called life prince's odyssey on and off the record but if you just type in prince and life or it comes out october 7th okay. and you know with covid if anyone wants we can figure out some way, a signed copy or a present or something, Aww. you know, maybe they can email you and you can forward it. You know, well, we can figure something out, but. Um, <laughs> um, oh yeah, we can do a contest. I just, and I wouldn't, you know, if I, I've written books that I thought frankly sucked or at the end, I mean, and it, I haven't gone out. I, I, I like this one and I, I think, I think it's a, I think it's okay and people will see a, a, a different side of Prince. And mm -hmm. it's not this, oh, what, I mean, you see some not so, he's a person like all of us. Yes. Who's got, you know, you know, he's generous and he's cheap. He's nice and he's not always nice. It's like all of us, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I just hope people see that he's a, a human being and not a Martian, you know? That, that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, I can't wait to read it after hearing the clips. I was blown away. So um, yeah. I know everybody will be too. And uh, yeah, maybe we can get a copy and, and one of our listeners can win a signed copy. Um, Neil, you're a beautiful person and just so honored to have you yeah. on our show and so thank you so much for all this unique oh, insight thank information you guys i'm it's you've got a great show and um and 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 thanks for having me on thanks for asking i really appreciate it i just talk you know i don't mean to get all gushy but just like the first 15 seconds talking to you go when, when, it was like two days ago or yesterday i was so yeah yeah um it was just like yes good people Aww. and Aww. i'm not 
I'm not all touchy feely. So, you know, <laughs> I, I was just like, yeah, whatever they want. So oh, uh, thank if, you. If you, were, thank I, you. If you were here, I'd ask. We're genuine. Yourself. Yeah, we're both very genuine. So and you are too. Real, very so, real. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If you all need right, any. Well, thank you everyone for listening and um, don't forget to buy the book. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. For more information on Eden, go to EdenSuston.com. For more information on Kim, go to KimLifeCoach.com. Make sure to follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Talk Purpose and Truth Podcast. If you loved this episode, you'll love every episode. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Thank you for listening.